Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back from the shitter, Marie Adoranti. <laughs> is back thank on the show you. finally oh my god thank <laughs> you i've spent this whole time just All shitting my brain <laughs> i've lost so much weight it's incredible <laughs> your ass must be very bruised and very sore you know um yeah yeah you know what <laughs> i yeah. gotta go schedule a massage for it <laughs> beautiful how, how you been i feel like it's uh, been a while i'm good well maybe you can schedule a massage with uh um, Courtney's uh, new Patreon donation. Courtney upped her donation to a twenty-five dollar yeah. donation a month. Um, as a the, in the witch cat, I think a head witch category. That's it. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm just realizing now that your name is Piss Pants on the video. Oh. <laughs> We've been on this call for like twenty-five minutes, and she did not recognize that. I was very distracted with trying to find a story. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my god. Anyway, I like to do that now. Just put a new new I name just to, to spice things up around here. Um, but it. yes, Courtney, thank you so much for your donation. Yeah. Um, to our Patreon, and um, you will hear Courtney's story in our. Uh, she submitted a a story through Patreon. And that will be included in our bonus episode uh, on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. this week, like yeah. this episode coming up. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, sorry, no, it'll be it'll be last week before this episode. This one, yeah. <laughs> it'll be before. So the, if you're yeah. an Apple subscriber, you will have gotten it last week. Um, yeah, when you're hearing this episode. So if, and you're, if not, you're not and you want to, then by all means, go subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Um, you it's yeah. uh. You can go directly to our account to subscribe. It's $4 a month or I think 40 for the year. Yeah. And if you or and then that gives you access to all of our network's content as well. So not just ours, but yeah. The Sonar network as a whole. So, yeah. And then not only that, like we just we just got joined on this network by two people that everyone else here loved. Yeah, uh, our two queens, Cynthia Kiss and um, Juicebox. So yeah, you'll have access to their podcast queens too. are now on yeah. Sonar. Yeah, super super pumped about that. I think there was another 
podcast launched on the network recently too. So there's uh, some hard hidden um, pieces yeah. of content coming out and might be worth the subscription. And it's basically you get ad free content. So every episode that you hear is ad free and you also get bonus content from yeah. subscribing. So yeah. I wonder how Cody feels about no longer being the most famous person on this network anymore. <laughs> He's definitely punching the air. He's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> punching the air. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, uh, speaking of, Cody was going to mm. come on our Valentine's episode, but um, Admir was in surgery. Mm-hmm. And when I got got him, we waited outside of Shopper's Drug Mart for like an hour getting his medication. And I was like, Cody, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be back for uh, like a while. And by at this point, I'm it's like 8 p.m. on a Friday yeah. and I'm just over it. And then someone hit Admir's car while we were parked there. Um, oh. luckily, luckily, it didn't do any damage. But at that point, I was just kind of emotionally and physically exhausted. Yeah. You're like, so. I'm absolutely going home to bed. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I hadn't eaten either. And it was like 8. So I was like, yeah, yeah this isn't it. Sorry. Um, anyway... Speaking of emotionally exhausted, I uh, just wanted to dedicate this episode to my dog niece, Emma, who passed away recently. It was sudden and it was quick. And um, we found out that she had liver cancer. And I think maybe two weeks later, we had to say goodbye. So just a little dedication to my Emma and uh, a little shout out to my sister because she is going through it because she was Emma's person mm-hmm. so that's all just wanted to let sure. you want to do or dedicate this one to her sounds good thanks let's do some horoscopes get some clarity for for our day totally I'll go first I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll read yours all right sounds good um okay so some professional colleagues might be coming to visit Leo and you may not be looking forward to it You could be worried. How will it go? Will you make a good impression? Don't drive yourself crazy. It'll be fine. Family family members should be doing well regarding their responsibilities, although you might be a bit worried about them today. Relax. All is going to go very well. Um, well, all my professional colleagues are, like, a plane ride away from me, so I don't think that... (laughs) I'll, they no, they none were visiting. None Imagine would visit just... my home. Um, <laughs> Who could <Jesus>. it be? <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't ring true at all. Like not even remotely that I can think of. I mean, I had meetings, but that's not anything crazy. And then, uh, in terms of responsibilities, like family responsibilities, I don't. I, I don't know what that even really means. Like. Right now, we don't really have that much going on because we finished the bathroom of the cottage. So, mm-hmm. and Admir is, like, not able to lift anything more than, like, over 10 pounds for six weeks. So, yeah, he ain't got no responsibilities right now for, <laughs> for, for around him. the house. Um, he just said, woo. He <laughs> just wooed. I heard him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what other than that, like, when... When it comes to my mom and stuff, I don't really think about what she needs to do very much. So <laughs> she's retired. She doesn't. Need she's to retired. Do she very like little amount of responsibilities that yeah. need to be done. She just chooses to do them. So I don't know. I don't know. That was a weird one. Not not mm-hmm. relevant for me. No, definitely not. Not yeah. today. 
Not today. <laughs> Not today, Satan. Um, so, okay, Gemini. Mm-hmm. Today you might enjoy planning to have some visitors stay with you for a while. <laughs> no. Go on. At least they're not professional visitors. Yeah. Worry worry about developments on the job or unfinished chores of your own. Sorry. Worry about developments on the job or unfinished chores of your own might have you feeling a bit stressed and under the weather. You need to look at your situation objectively. It isn't all that bad. Just something that needs to be done. Get it handled and then reward yourself somehow. Okay, that's that's pretty... On point. Pretty good. Other than like having some visitors stay with me for a while, I don't think so. Um, yeah. I hope not, honestly. I don't <laughs> yeah. really want anyone to be here. Uh, but the part about like developments on the job, we just had a union vote. Things did not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're mm-hmm. in like a collective bargaining agreement with our our union or with our company. It's not looking good. Um, and it has been having me stressed and feeling under the weather. But I am trying to look at it objectively. Um, things looked good for me in the contract, not good for my colleagues. So I, I'm worried about them. Um, but I get it. And then the other thing is about like chores, unfinished chores. So mm-hmm. that is definitely there. We've been trying to look at houses. We're like... I'm in this weird limbo where I'm like, I need to get this house cleaned up and ready for like, you know, for if I decide to buy a house, I need this to be able to sell. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also like, I don't know if I really want to do this right now. I'm in just such a really good financial position with the amount of money that's owing on this house. So just a weird spot, but it seems like everything's going to work out. I'm going to get it handled and then I'm going to reward myself somehow. There you go. Perfect. Anyway. (laughs) um all right well i have i'll do you want me to go first for the stories yeah sure um so i had planned a story about uh well i had thought about doing a story about campus ghosts and like ghosts for you like colleges and universities a couple weeks ago and then it was the valentine's episode and i was like oh i can't tell that story then um so i am doing a story about a the school spirits um at u of t which is a very well-known university here in toronto canada Mm -hmm. and um there's quite a few pretty cool stories around that campus that i really wanted to tell so i am i took the majority of my information from university of toronto magazine um and it's uh, an article called school spirits tales of the supernatural Supernatural Abound at U of T by Joe Howell. And this was published September 14th, 2008. So I'm sure there's more. I think there was, there's another, there's another article that has a bunch of comments that I might go through some of those to just share what other people have kind of um, said about it. Although there are student related submissions on in this article as well. So, okay. Um, The article starts basically with a, uh, a ghost walk because they have a ghost walk at the school. So there will be a couple of murders on this walk. Richard finds Clinton tells the people gathering on a June evening for a tour of U of T's haunted buildings. Well, a couple of murder stories. The ghost stalker clarifies with a grin. As the small group assembles outside the Royal Ontario Museum, finds Clinton 
who offers Toronto walking excursions through his company, Muddy York Tours, tells the tale of Celeste, a 19th century girl who playfully haunts the planetarium. Turning into Hoskin Avenue, the group hears about John Strachan, the founder of Trinity College, who died on November 1st, 1867, and is said to appear to students who stay out too late on All Hallows' Eve. Then, there's the stone face in Hart House that some say dripped water, or is it crying, out of one eye a couple of years ago. Meaning, like, 2005. <laughs> it seems that the St. George campus, with its history of colorful characters and eerie gothic buildings, is a natural dwelling for the supernatural. Add in the large number of people who wander the grounds late at night and a handful of mystery and a handful of mysterious deaths over the years, and it's not surprising there have been so many spooky sightings. U of T English professor Marlene Goldman is writing a book titled The Politics and Poetic Poetics of Hauntings in Canadian Fiction, which explores the meaning of ghost stories. She says ghost tales are repeated through the generations because we just love to be frightened. We're happy to think that there is a mysterious aspect to human experience and to the world, she says. We've been to the moon and we've been close to the bottom of the sea, but we still have the sense that we really haven't mastered it at all. Ghosts are uncanny reminders of our limitations. Goldman also says that our habit of telling and retelling ghost stories may be an attempt to cleanse ourselves of past misdeeds. Very often, I think ghosts are tied to our most egregious behavior. The ghosts of the Holocaust or the ghosts of the Japanese internment or the ghosts of the native people who are wiped out by illnesses such as smallpox. We have a kind of collective historical memory whether we want to admit it or not. So the artists and writers in our society do us the favor of conjuring ghosts so that we can work this injustice through. There's something socially beneficial, maybe even therapeutic, about ghost stories. Then the author goes to say, socially beneficial, therapeutic, or just plain scary. You be the judge. But don't blame us if these creepy tales keep you awake at night. So now I'm going to go into the actual tales of the uh, what has been seen in, at the campus. So dueling stonemasons is one of the popular sightings. Russian stonemason Ivan Reznikov worked on University College, the crown jewel of U of T's collegiate Gothic architecture, during its construction in the mid-19th century. By his own admission, Reznikov was not a clever man, but he did enjoy his work, and he was betrothed to a woman named Susan, whom he loved madly. However, Reznikov's happy existence came to a brutal end late one night in 1856. He had failed to notice a cruel joke that the project foreman, Paul Diablos, was slowly playing on him, right under his very eyes. Diablos had spent weeks carving a pair of stone gargoyles. One morning, while Reznikov was admiring Diablos' handiwork, the foreman asked Reznikov if he recognized one of the grotesques. Reznikov was aghast. One of the gargoyles was him. Diablos had carved his face into a hideous stone mask. Reznikov swore he'd get his revenge. 
In the middle of the night, he returned to the gargoyles, which you can still see today by the southwest corner of UC, and began to carve Diablo's visage into the other one. Then, Reznikov suddenly disappeared without a trace. He simply vanished, and the foreman replaced him with another stonemason. History might have forgotten Reznikov had student journalist Louis Sokolov not resurrected the tale of the murdered stonemason in a Halloween edition of the newspaper more than two decades ago. According to Sokolov, Reznikov reappeared on a chilly, foggy evening in 1889. That night, a student was walking across campus when he encountered, encountered a tall man clad in black with lank hair spilling out from under a pointed witch-like hat. The stranger told the student he had a story to tell. The night was cold, so they decided to talk in the student's residence room. There, the two finished a bottle of rum, while the ghost of Resnikov recounted how he had died so long ago. One night I stayed late, working feverishly to finish the gargoyle, he began. I heard a girl's laugh, then Diablo's voice saying, See the dull-witted Russian? I crouched on the scaffolding and looked down. There below me stood Susan, embracing the wily Greek Diablos. Rage gripped me, but I could do nothing. The next morning, steeled by alcohol, I attacked Diablos with a double-bladed mason's axe. My first blow missed. My axe stuck in a hard wooden door. Diablo slipped through the door, but I pursued him. He ran up the stairs and hid near an uncompleted ventilation shaft. I did not see him until it was too late. His knife plunged into my side. He then hid my body in the shaft and said nothing about it. In the morning, the student awoke with a hangover and an empty liquor bottle in his room. His mysterious drinking buddy had vanished. Two years later, much of University College burned in the Great Fire but the door with the axe wound in it can still be seen in UC's southwest corner. And workers digging through the rubble discovered something strange. Inside a ventilation shaft, a skeleton wearing a belt with a buckle stamped with the stonemason's emblem. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, so pretty fucking crazy. Oh my god. Yeah, like... It, I, I, I don't, I've never even heard this story before, but like, and like the kid just woke up and I don't know who he told or turned to, to tell this right. story, but he obviously was just like, I just had the most vivid dream or vivid experience of my life. Right. Like, and this is what I found out. And then they corroborated it eventually once the like college once burned, it burned down, down and they were able to see that literally there was someone stuffed in the ventilation shaft. So Yeah. That's that's one story. So that's pretty Holy fuck. pretty fucking crazy. Yeah, I also didn't know that the university had ever burnt down. I, it was just a part of the university, I think. Okay, so to okay. your, well, still, much I of university <laughs> college burned down in a in the Great Fire. Okay, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I did not know that. I think it was like the eighties, maybe. It doesn't oh, say wow, the okay. year, but yeah. But if I had to guess. If I had to guess, I, probably the 80s. I, I, the I, 80s. I feel like there was a lot of arson in the 80s, you know? Um, I don't know. That's, that's the title of this episode. There's a lot of, there was a lot of arson in the 80s. There was a lot of arson in the 80s. People were really just pyros. They just really had a lot 
a lot going on. Just, just a lot of a lot cocaine of and, and yeah, exactly. Fires. Just a lot of drug use and a lot of pyromania. Okay, seen almost fire, baby. Like, come on. Anyway, okay. There's okay. another one. There's another okay. one here. Yes. Okay, the prisoner of Christie Manor. Um, the building at the northeast corner of Wellesley Street and Queens Park Circle is a holy place. The Sisters of St. Joseph lived there for many years, and in 2009, it will become the home of Regis College, the Jesuit graduate facility of theology. But back when Scottish baker William Mellis Christie, who founded the cookie company known today as Mr. Christie, owned the manor, the building was to hold a terrible secret. I think we talked about this guy before. Okay. I think we. I think he haunts some other things because he had like tunnels and shit. Oh. Um, like not like deep. Like it was just like the they were bit like his like manor was built with tunnels and stuff. Anyway, legend. I think has I remember it, now. That yeah, you, yeah. That, now that you say it, that the keg way. mansion I think is part of okay. that or one of the one. I forget. I I have to okay. go back. So legend has it that when Christie, William Christie, passed away in 1900, his son Robert Christie moved back to the family home with his wife and concocted an evil plan. Robert is said to have trapped a woman in a secret windowless room at the heart of the manor. No. Only Robert and a butler had any idea of the woman's imprisonment. Seasons passed in which the captive woman's only human contact was with the butler, who periodically dropped off supplies. The woman eventually went mad from the solitude and unalived herself with a bedsheet. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, what's the point? Like, I'm yeah, sorry. No offense. Like, you're yeah. literally being captured by someone who's super, super powerful. Yeah, that's and fucked up. you have no outside. You're probably being abused. Like, jeez. Jeez, yeah. The butler is said to have buried her corpse in neighboring Queen's Park under the cover of darkness. According to the tale, Robert's guilt over the suicide ate away at him, and he began to lose the fortune his father had accrued. Soon, he could no longer afford the mansion and sold it to U of T. The unfortunate female students of the Sisters of St. Joseph continued to pay the price for Robert's purported misdeeds. After the concealed room was discovered and then converted to a study, a woman entering the room alone late at night would find that the door suddenly swung shut behind her, trapping her inside. No. No amount of force could pry the door open, so the woman would have to pound on the heavy door until someone heard her. Then her rescuer would effortlessly open the door from the other side as if it wasn't locked. Mm. If no one heard the woman's plea for help, she would be forced to spend the night alone and terrified in the former prison cell. Some oh say God. the room contains a foreboding presence. Perhaps it's the ghost of the prisoner forcing other women to endure the same hopeless misery and loneliness she felt when she was trapped inside. Others believes, believe that it's the lingering spirit of Robert and that his malevolent soul continues to do harm even beyond the grave. Jeez. That's, that's shit. Yeah, that's shit. That's super shit. Um, yeah. Okay, so we got, buckle up, because we got a few few more coming through. Holy shit, okay, yeah. let's go. <laughs> the, the Master Returns is what this one is, is titled. Okay. 
Some ghosts write their own stories. Robertson Davies, the first master of Massey College, is perhaps one such poltergeist. Davies died in 1995, but he may be helping keep alive a tradition he started 45 years ago. As Massey's master, Davies was in the perfect position to institute customs for future generations. For the 18 years he proceeded over Massey, Davies captivated the crowd at the annual Christmas party known as Gaudy Night, with humorous and spectral stories of his own invention. He usually set these tongue-in-cheek tales in Massey College and played with the conventions of the ghost genre. The story that began it all, Revelation from a Smoky Fire, involved a master from a hundred years in the future visiting Davies himself. The rather pale traveler from 2063 didn't know who Davies was. Davies began this tale with a brief preamble aimed at the skeptics in his audience. I am a more than ordinary fanciful person. I am extremely nervous and I don't find anything intrinsically improbable in the notion of a ghost. But I can assure you I found what I'm about to tell you a disquieting experience. Davies may not have convinced the doubters, but listeners found the experience of Davies' storytelling so enjoyable that he kept spinning a new yarn year after year. After his retirement in 1981, Davies published the tales in a collection called High Spirits. He also told his fellow faculty members that, given his druthers, he'd haunt Massey College himself one day. Davies may have gotten his wish. A guest still reads one of his ghost stories every Christmas, and rumors of the supernatural swirl through the college all year long. Students past and present whisper of inexplicable phenomena within Massey's walls. Phenomena that began the day that Davies did or didn't leave us. Carrie Marine, president of the Massey College Alumni Association, says she has heard about many strange occurrences, uh, wrath-like figures that when you look at them too closely disappear into thin air, objects that mysteriously move or show up in unlikely locations, thuds and crashes coming from empty rooms, an impossible shadow in the 2005-2006 class photo that looks just like a man. It seems Robertson Davies lives on at U of T in one form or another. Yeah. So those were all the like well-known published ghosts and then these next ones are just tales from the actual grads and the encounters that they've had so there's just a few here one two three so i will go through these as quickly as i can an electrifying presence i was a first year engineering student my lab partner and i were working on electronics assignment in one of the old labs in the Wahlberg building We were having some trouble with a circuit we'd been asked to build and analyze, and we were scratching our heads over what should have been a very simple problem to fix. Eventually, we noticed a man watching us. He wasn't the course professor, and he wasn't one of the lab technicians or tutors. He asked us what was wrong, and we told him we didn't know. We had built the circuit exactly as described, but it was not behaving as expected. The mysterious man told us to double-check our wires because they had some time... They sometimes break. We took his advice and soon found out that indeed there was a broken wire. We replaced it and completed the assignment. We turned to thank him, but he was no longer there. 
Surprised, we asked the other people in the lab where the man had gone. No one else could remember seeing anyone who matched his description. Ew. Neither of us saw this man again during our time at the university. Maybe he was an old professor who had retired or moved on, or perhaps he was Emil Wahlberg himself, I don't know who that is, helping out a couple of frosh in the building that had been named after him so long ago. Okay, so it's oh, now the building. We know. That, yeah, yeah, there we go. Wahlberg building. Got it. Sorry. Sorry just, I was going to be like, I think it's Mark Wahlberg's It's uh, definitely ancestor. Mark Wahlberg. They, yep. He just wanted to see where Wahlbergers was. <laughs> and stumbled upon them. Totally. Um, okay, so this one is called The Ghost in the Cellar. Throughout mm-hmm. Teachers College, I was fortunate to have a room in the Christie Mansion. The abode was every girl's dream house. Pink bricks with cream trim, arching entryways, spiral staircases, marble floors, and plush red carpets. There were even mysterious closets and secret passages. That does sound like my dream home. It does. It really does. (laughs) At times, though, the house seemed haunted. I remember many nights lying in bed, half awake, listening to odd creakings and distant scufflings coming from behind the walls and floorboards. I convinced myself that there was nothing to fear until Halloween 2005. It was nearly midnight when I slipped into bed. As I was drifting off, I recalled how one of my upstairs housemates habitually held her breath and ran past the doorway to the mansion's musty basement. She had persuaded several of her floor mates and had tried to persuade me that the basement was undeniably haunted. Not one of them would dare venture down those dark age stairs for any reason. Suddenly, in the silence, I heard an eerie, high-pitched, rhythmical grinding sound. It stopped. I lay very still. Then, I heard it again. It lasted a little longer this time. Was that sound coming from the basement? I listened closer. The sound returned a second and then a third time. I sat bolt upright in bed, threw back the covers, grabbed my glasses and emergency flashlight, put on my shower shoes, and slipped into the hall. My room was on the first floor, so it was a short walk to the dark, doorless portal to the basement. Every so often, I would pause and listen. The folds of my nightgown swishing around me, the sound was still there. My heart pounded as I craned my neck around the doorframe and cast my gaze down. What I saw astonished me. Past the landing at the bottom of the stairs, was a concrete wall and a door. All was black. There were no light fixtures, not even a hanging bulb. However, from the base of that tarnished, prison-like door, a single sliver of light crept into the shadows. I very quickly began down the stairs, halting after each step. All of my housemates' stories and their warnings echoed in my ears. The rickety wood staircase groaned under the pressure of my feet. In my right hand, I clutched the flashlight like a sword. In my left, the splintered railing. The noises, the same noises that I had heard in bed, grew louder. I reached the landing. Breathing fast, I stretched out my hands. My hair wild about me and groped through the inky blackness towards the mysterious door. Thick dread drilled through my veins. I leaned in close with my right ear toward the door and heard something. I heard voices from the other side of the door. I froze. People were not supposed to be down here. There were no rooms. The area had been used for storage, but had long been abandoned. 
Rumor had it that the cellar had once served as some sort of prison. Transfixed with fear, I slowly reached out my hand, grasped the rounded brass knob, turned it, and pushed. Light flooded into the landing, temporarily blinding me. I blinked several times, amazed at what I saw. There, hunched over a table with her back to the door, was a girl and her parents. The girl's long black tresses swished as she turned her head towards me. It was then that I realized that she was the girl from my residence. On the table where she was laboring, and had been laboring for some time, probably hours, spread out in bits and pieces, was an architecture project due the following day. Oh my god. The squealing came to an abrupt halt (laughs) as her father cut the power to the sandsaw that he was using to make a miniature wooden house frame. Oh my god. Kathleen, when you're done this, I have something to say. Yeah, no. Kathleen, I just can't believe you put me through that. That's what I'm saying. She's such a, I was while you were reading that, I was like, wow, this person is such a good writer. Like they she, really are. I I, I get got like, through the the some of the language she was using. I'm like, is this just a creative writing narrative? That's what I thought. I was like, is she writing an article for Reader's Digest? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's 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 clean this let's, up with a. Let's keep it to the ghosts. Let's keep it okay, to the ghost Kathleen? stories, Kathleen. Okay, Get that's not together. what these people wanted. That's not what um, we're here for. Okay. No. Okay. So the last story here is unexplained phenomena. Okay. For in the for a year in the early 1980s, see, told you 80s. I served as an overnight watchman at University College. See, there's gonna be a fire. <laughs> Colleagues warned me that UC was haunted, and I remembered noticing soon after I started that locked doors sometimes became mysteriously unlocked. I didn't give these isolated instances much thought until a couple of things happened that I still cannot explain. I showed up for duty one fall evening around six. As I entered the college, I noticed sheets of insulation stacked neatly against the wall outside a classroom. Construction workers were using the room as their office during a renovation. The sheets weighed about 80 pounds each, and there were about 10 in the pile. Stretching on my tiptoes, I could barely reach the top of the stack. At around 4 a.m., I was in the classroom when I heard a crash outside the door. I rushed into the corridor, and there, lying on the floor, was one of the sheets of insulation. It was as if some unknown force had picked it up off the pile and dropped it on the floor. I called the U of T police, who sent over an officer to check for an intruder. We went through the building and could not find any evidence of forced entry into the building. UC was surely locked. About six months later, I was working a Saturday evening shift. Students held a regular pub night in the basement at Laidlaw Library. But at about 1.30 a.m., I noticed that the library was in complete darkness. The pub had ended. At about 4 a.m., I looked up from a book I was reading, gazed out the window, and was alarmed to see that all three floors of Laidlaw Library were lit up like a Roman candle. I called U of T police and advised them that a break-in was in progress. Two officers arrived within minutes and searched the library for half an hour. Neither of the library's two entrances showed any sign of forced entry. I wondered if the librarian had inadvertently set the light timer incorrectly when he left for the weekend. The officers agreed that it was a plausible theory, except that the library was not equipped with a light timer. It must be the ghost, they said, leaving me to ponder the mystery of on my own. And that was from Barry. 
That's, oh, that's Barry thanks. Green's story. And then there's a ton of comments on here, too, from people. But Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. So U of T, haunted as fuck. I had no idea. I really Neither. didn't know. I wish I did know when I knew people that went there so I could be like, tell me about your books. Yeah, tell me about it. It's your campus. Exactly. All right. Well, let's, well, let's uh, take a little break. Break yeah. a roo. Break a rooney. Break a rooney and come back and you can tell me a story too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you a ghost, some some ghost stories about the Montevello University in Montevello, Alabama. Um, my sources were an article by Anna Prenzi Coxis uh, for the Alabam- Alabamian uh, that was just titled Campus Ghost Stories. So I believe that this is their school newspaper. Then there was another article that I used by the Shelby County reporter called The Ghosts That Haunt Montevello by Christine Boatwright. And then a heavily, heavily, heavily used website. And by heavily used, I mean I'm pretty much just going to be reading from this website. <laughs> um, call uh, It's on hauntedhouses.com and there's a whole section about Montevello University. So um, let's get into it. So the University of Montevello is spread out across a a 160-acre main campus. It's surrounded by lawns, tree groves, and flower beds. There are 28 campus buildings or sites that are listed on the National Register of Historical Places. And the University of Montevello is a high-quality, small, liberal arts college with a student body of about 3,100 students and a well-educated faculty. Many beautiful buildings, both old and new, house the students, the four colleges, and their support staff, classrooms, administration, libraries, and everything else that you would need or want on a university campus. Um, And so the four colleges that make up the University of Montevello are the College of Arts and and Sciences, the Michael E. Stevens College of Business, the College of Education, and the College of Fine Arts. So that's just some stuff about it (laughs) we're going to talk about um the history of this land so the land where the college is now located um before it was obviously a college a wealthy businessman named edmund king had moved into the area in the 1820s he had a wife and a son and they uh, had built their homestead on top of a hill they lived there with neighboring um indigenous people sorry they did not use the correct word in this article so i had to stop there uh indigenous people who still occupied the land and uh they named his home the mansion house now the mansion house which is now known as the king house was considered one of the most glorious mansions in the country um and or sorry 
one of the most glorious mansions in the county, maybe the state, and his family and his money were two things that were near and dear to his heart. So two things that this man loved, money and his family. As time passed, obviously the area was more developed, more people started moving there, and then during the Civil War, an existing building was turned into a Confederate hospital building, which is now known as Reynolds Hall. So this area became a rest and regroup area for the Confederate forces. Underground tunnels were supposedly also constructed to be used as a safe way for the rebels to move about. Nearby in town, there was the Briarfield Ironworks where high quality iron ore was made for the Confederate Army. And when a group of the Union Army led by General Sherman swept into town to destroy the ironworks, it's also said that they, that they had made a stop at the Confederate hospital and they massacred all of the sick and wounded people there. The story goes that many of these victims were buried in King's Cemetery, which is located on the campus today. In October of 1896, the old hospital and other existing buildings became the Alabama Girls Industrial School and opened up as a as an educational experiment with the goal being that they were educating young women to be self-supporting by being trained uh, to be teachers, bookkeepers, artists, musicians, dressmakers, telegraphers, and milliners. This school was the dream of Julia Tutwiler, who was on a mission to provide educational opportunities for women. Captain Henry Clay Reynolds was one of the main backers of the college, and he worked hard to have it established in Montevallo. So it wasn't surprising that Captain Reynolds became the very first president of the institution. The old hospital building was renamed Reynolds Hall in honor of him, and unfortunately, he ended up being asked to leave as president when it was discovered that the students were sending their tuition money to him directly, which he was using for personal investments. So, honestly, great. Only a man. <laughs> Only a man. <laughs> The four west wings of the main dormitory hall for the students were built and ready for occupancy by the fall of 1897. By 1899, the student body was made up of 400 young women. It's in this dormitory that we hear about the story of Condi Cunningham. So Condi Cunningham had died in a fire on the, the fourth floor in 1908. Okay. In 1907, a new man, Thomas Waverly Palmer, became the president. After the demand for teacher training programs became evident, Palmer instituted a more ambitious teacher training program, which blossomed through the years. In 1911, this industrial school was upgraded to Alabama Girls Technical Institute. In 1919, the words, the words and college for women were added. In 1923, the name evolved to Alabama College, uh, State College for Women, and it was a degree-granting institution. In 1956, men were allowed to start going there, and then the school became Alabama State College. Pre-professional programs in medicine and law and business administration were added. The Alabama State College had evolved and grown so much that by September 1st in 1969, the college graduated into the University of Montevallo. So let's talk about the ghosts. All of these people that I have mentioned uh, up here in the history obviously have to do with the ghost stories that I'm about to tell you. So 
We'll talk about Reynolds Hall. This was Captain Harry Clay Reynolds. He's the guy that collected everybody's tuition money and um, used it for his own personal investments. So (laughs) Reynolds Hall is now a theater building where students study and practice their craft. There are two stories as to why Captain Henry Reynolds is haunting the building. One story says that during the Civil War, Captain Reynolds was given the duty of providing security for the sick and injured men in the Confederate Hospital, which was located in this building. When he heard about the upcoming siege against the Briarfield Ironworks in town, he left his post with some of the men to help in the battle. But when he came back, he found out that the that they had actually come to the hospital and killed all of the men there who were sick. And he felt like he might have been able to save them if he had stayed. He vowed that he would never leave the building unprotected again in this lifetime or the next. The story or the second story claims that Captain Reynolds wasn't even stationed there during the supposed massacre, which some say never even happened. So some people are saying like this thing, this massacre never happened. Civil War soldiers who did die in the hospital are buried in the King Cemetery. Some say that the haunting is because Captain Reynolds was asked to step down as college president because of that whole thing where he was taking money from women and investing it. Um, and he was bitter about this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he was upset about that. So because he had been in so instrumental in getting the school established here and he loved his job, which is true. This place wouldn't exist without him. Um, but then why'd you go and do that to all the people? Yeah. Anyway, the blue specter of Captain Henry Reynolds has been seen, heard, and his presence is felt wandering around the building. He's been known to follow the students late at night. Doors and windows shut by themselves. In certain areas of the hall, there are cold spots and areas which give the living people chills. When the painting of Captain Henry Clay Reynolds was taken down in the lobby of Reynolds Hall where it had been hung and replaced with another one, it was mysteriously rehung and its replacement was found on the floor. Oh. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to talk about the women's residence. So this is Old Main Hall. The fourth floor of the Old West Main Hall is haunted by one or two female ghosts. So they're not quite sure if it's one or two, actually. So this is the story of Condi Cunningham. On February 4th, 1908, Condi Cunningham and her friends were either heating up hot chocolate or making fudge on a burner. There was an alcohol bottle that had been knocked over and it caused a fire in the room to start. Condi's nightgown ended up catching on fire, and soon she was a human torch, screaming down the hall as she ran before she collapsed and died soon after. Jesus. Yeah. The apparition of a young woman running down the hall with flaming hair and body has been observed on occasion. That would be traumatic. Yeah, that is fucking crazy. Sometimes the sound of running feet down the halls is heard when no one is living there. Her blood-curdling scream is sometimes heard in the shower room or the hall. Doors and windows open and close at will. Sometimes a disembodied voice is heard yelling, help me. The door of Condi's old room, which was wooden, had an image of her face with flames around it that kept like burning into the door. And so they, they would replace the door and it would come back again. Um, and so then they replaced it with a metal door and, Um, Then a woman ended up unaliving herself in this room. 
Um, so some people think that she might be the person who is haunting the halls and that who, and she, they say that she comes in and out of dorm rooms and open and closes doors. And some people thought that it might be her face on the door and not Condi's, but they ended up replacing this wooden door with a metal door and, um, closing this room off completely. Nobody is allowed in that room anymore. Yeah. Then there's the King House. So Edmund King loved his mansion and his money, which we already said. In 1863, just before he died, he decided to bury his money under a peach tree to prevent the Union Army from taking his treasure. His wife and son died before him. So he died at the age of 82 and his wife and son had died before he passed away. The apparition of an old man has been seen wandering around the outside yard, carrying a lantern and a shovel, as if to check up on his buried treasure, or maybe visit the graves of his wife and son. While walking by the house at night, students can see a lantern at the window traveling across the second floor when no one was in the house. The apparition of an elderly gentleman was seen inside sitting at his table counting his coins. Students walking by during the day were startled by a slightly see-through elderly gentleman dressed in 1800s garb, waving waving in a good-natured way at them from the second floor window. During a wedding reception, which was held in this house, a huge white-robed phantom became visible underneath the dining room table and floated out the window in front of all the guests. Beautiful. There are cold spots felt in his old bedroom. Imagine having a wedding. <laughs> nope. I'm picturing, I'm picturing your wedding, oh but it's my. just it's just me wearing a sheet. <laughs> Ooh, Imagine you just ruined my wedding doing that. I'd ruined. Never Ruin made the wedding. What are you talking about? I'd never forgive you. You didn't even have to pay a DJ for that kind of entertainment. Ruined. Ruined. How dare you? I'm going to do it at my brother's wedding next year. There you go. Just kidding. There you go. Okay. Palmer (laughs) Hall. It was named after Thomas Waverly Palmer. Palmer Hall is a huge building with a 1,100-foot auditorium, an organ, and a stage area. And there's a downstairs. So W.H. Trumbauer, who was known as arguably the greatest nickname I've ever heard, (laughs) Trummy, (laughs) was one of the designers of Palmer Hall. His name was left off of the cornerstone by mistake. A student was practicing the organ in Palmer Hall. She had stopped and was getting ready to go home when she heard a disembodied voice asking her to continue playing. She was alone in the hall. The ghost of Dr. W.H. Trumbauer was an enthusiastic supporter of the annual college night, an event where a contest is held to see who can put on the best play, which takes place during homecoming festivities. Trummy still gives his opinion. Never mind that he's dead. He lets them know which play he thought was best by swinging the batons over the performance of who he thought did the best during the final dress rehearsal of all of the shows in the contest. Because he was a perfectionist, his opinion is valued by the students. He's been known to appear to students as he wanders around backstage 
There are old mirrors which used to be on the dressing room walls downstairs and um, they used to be a place where you could see entities of women dressed in long dresses getting ready for a performance from long ago. And then this one is Hanson Hall. So this is the women's residence. It's the third floor and it houses a sorority. A dedicated entity who is a strict house mother is still on the job, watching over the women in her residence hall. Residents who are up late uh, studying feel like they're being watched, like an unseen presence has been patrolling the halls and has come inside of their room to investigate. One student left her mug on her desk. It mysteriously disappeared one day, but reappeared in the exact same spot a few weeks later. And um, their sources, by the way, included Montevallo.edu um, and factstaff.uwa.edu. And this was written by Julie Carr. And I would also like to add that I thought it was really cool that every single article that I read about this place was written by a woman. Cool. And that's the story of Montevallo University. Dope. I like it. <laughs> Condi was the fucking scariest thing I've ever heard. That's so scary. Yeah, very, very, very scary. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I feel like these are pro- probably up there with what, the most haunted places we've probably spoken about in terms of probably. like the amount of hauntings. Yeah, yes. You know? Yeah. I'm always interested in like, not, it's weird. I find like war stories especially confederate war stories i'm like this is boring yeah yeah but yeah, then yeah agreed, when agreed. I, right but then when i hear like or when i hear about their hauntings i'm like that's fucking they just seem to be like the most vivid hauntings i ever yeah, hear yeah, about yeah, yeah. do you know like, what i mean these people really just they were they really left a lot of energy behind yes yeah exactly well yeah. naturally like in a situ- sure. in a, such a traumatic situation, yes, um, you would imagine so. You would think so, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, well let's do some Firk Mary kills. Let's firk them up. Let's firk them up. All right, let's do this. So it's it it's gonna be Pisces season, and so we're gonna do some Pisces. Okay, you go. First. Me first. <laughs> Okay. I'm laughing at mine. Okay. Well, I I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you did not. Did not? Okay. 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 Um, I'm going to go with Shaq, like Shaquille O'Neal. Ooh. Uh, Bruce Willis. Okay. And Rob Lowe. Okay. Actually. Okay. One change. Okay. Shaq. Mm-hmm. Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. Liza Minnelli. Ooh. <laughs> okay. I, this actually made it a lot easier for me. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. I'm sleeping with Shaq uh, 1,000%. <laughs> like, without question. I want to know what's going on okay. with this man. I am so small and not like, not like, I, like not, but not width in, wise, but in, in height, stature, definitely, yep, yep, <laughs> tiny lady, and he is so massive. Yeah, I want to know how the logistics You want to climb him work. like a tree? Just admit it. I would like spin around like a top on him. Like, He'd be a spinner. <laughs> so 
I choose Shaq to have sex with. Okay, okay. I'll kill Liza Minnelli. Yeah. And I'll marry Bruce Willis. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, I just, I'd switch the Shaq and the Bruce Willis. I knew it. I knew yeah. it. <laughs> I mean. That's fine. If he was good enough for Demi Moore, he's good enough for me. That's totally valid. I'm with you. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm choosing. Okay. I'm choosing a first, I don't know. Okay, the, the the first person on the list that popped up was George Washington. And then, like, a couple people after him was George Harrison from the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, how hilarious would it be if I found three George Pisces? And I did. Nice. So, so we're going to go with George, George Washington. Washington. Okay. George Harrison, mm-hmm. and if you could please Google, because I don't think you know who this is, okay. George Frederick Handel, a German-British composer. <laughs> <He's> a- <laughs> Everyone follow along. Google George Frederick Handel. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be hard for me not to sleep with this man. But... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna just put some self control in place and kill George Frederick Handel. Oh, such a loss. Just gotta create some some boundaries for myself. I just can't control myself otherwise. He has to die. I get it. I and then um, George yes. Washington, I will marry. Yes. And uh, George Harrison, I will sleep with. Mine would be the exact same. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the right, the right answer. <laughs> I, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, listeners better Google this guy because they won't you, understand otherwise. You better do it. <laughs> His hair's just so luscious. It's so good. So good. Uh, All right, well, well um, that's Thanks for hanging out, guys. Showbiz <laughs> baby. That's all right. Yeah. Stay spooky, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. (laughs) This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 